This Motley Fool podcast is brought to you by Tommy John. Tommy John makes underwear that keeps everything in place, whichever way a man moves. For 20% off your first purchase, go to tommyjohn.com fool and use the promo code fool. That's tommyjohn.com fool and promo code fool. I'm Vincent Shen. Welcome to the latest episode of Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Tuesday, October 11th, and I am joined via Skype by Fool.com contributor Daniel Klein, who is beaming in from an area of the country, actually, that has been in headlines quite a bit recently, and that's West Palm Beach in South Florida. How are you doing, Dan? Uh, happy to say we're still here. Yeah, I was really happy to hear, uh, absolutely, that that you guys came out okay following the hurricane. Um, so, you know, I heard yeah. it was pretty rough. Uh, I don't want to minimize the people who actually you know lost property or got hurt, but compared to what they were predicting... It wasn't that bad. It was very windy, very rainy, scary. I'm sure if you lived right on the ocean, it was terrifying. But you know they were predicting 125, 130 mile an hour winds, and we only got about half that. So, you know, we got very lucky. Yeah, it seems like certain regions, um, you know, were right in the path. Others were able to avoid it. So overall, I you know I think especially in your situation, having just moved down to Florida in the past month or two, right, and then have to encounter what was generally considered to be one of the bigger storms in recent memory. That's uh, interesting timing, to say the least. I'm hoping none of my neighbors put together that I'm bad luck when it comes to weather. <laughs> okay. They're predicting snow for next week. So. All right. So our two big stories for today are, first, we have the multi-billion dollar deal that was recently announced between the privately held Bass Pro Shops and its major outdoor retail rival Cabela's, ticker CAB. And second, we'll take a look at investor favorite Costco to see how the company is faring after its switch for American Express. So, Dan, uh, let me provide a little bit of background first for Bass Pro and Cabela's before we actually you know, dive into the details behind the buyout. Uh, in case anyone has never had the opportunity of visiting one of these stores before, or even heard of them, uh, maybe if you're a very diehard city dweller, both Bass Pro and Cabela's are two of the major big box stores catering to outdoors enthusiasts. They sell apparel, equipment, accessories for activities like hunting, fishing, camping, and that includes firearms as well. So, with that, Dan, I'm going to let you take it away. Can you give us a little bit of the details behind the deal? So, these are two very similar companies. They each have around 100 stores. They each have around 20,000 employees. And it was sort of the case of, given all the internet competition, there wasn't really room for two players. It's not necessarily that they have too many stores, but if you combine them, their buying power goes up, their branding goes up, their marketing goes up. It's sort of where it goes down. And it sort of gets easier to not have to compete with each other when they're both looking at you know, Amazon and other online retailers selling a lot of the same things. It's worth noting that these aren't just stores. They're destinations. They're you know, 180,000, 200,000 and up square feet. And they have shooting galleries and live animals and restaurants that serve wild game. And it's really a sort of fun place to go. And in some ways, that's been the most resilient retail is, is stores where there's a reason to go when you're not necessarily going to buy. Yeah, I want to point out based on that, uh, you know, we were talking about this before the show as well. It's really incredible some of the attractions that their bigger uh, flagship stores offer. So for Cabela's, you know, they take a Two different approaches. They have their current smaller store format approach, think 40,000 to 100,000 square feet. And then the legacy format was their larger stores going up to 250,000 square feet, the biggest location being in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. Um, you mentioned uh, shooting galleries and things like that. This has, of course, the shopping, but then a restaurant, aquarium, museum, even like animal displays for a regional game for hunters. And 
you can actually take a virtual tour of that store specifically with Google Street View technology to give you a sense of how large it is and what it has to offer. But you know, Bass Pro Shops actually takes it to the next level. Um, their stores are largely in the 150,000 to 200 thousand square foot range for their outdoor world flagship branding. And the largest store in the Bass Pro fleet is an unbelievable 535,000 square feet. They basically took over um, an old sports and concert arena in Memphis, Tennessee called the Pyramid. Uh, so think of a former stadium that's now a, a big store. It has two restaurants, a hotel, bowling alley, aquarium, the tallest freestanding elevator in the world, which leads to an observation deck at the top of the pyramid. And the pyramid itself is one of the tallest in the world. And to put that into perspective, 535,000 square feet for that store. By comparison, the average Walmart Supercenter, super center, which is huge, uh, you know, walking through that is its own uh, experience. They're only 180,000 square feet. So this thing is really just absolutely enormous. But... Um, okay. Go ahead, it's, worth, it's worth noting that most of the Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops, they're not in malls. They're in sort of outlying areas, cheaper real estate. And the big store has something important going for it. It's that there's a reason to go there. I used to walk around my son when he was four or five in the one in East Hartford. And, you know, we'd buy, buy a little candy, maybe have lunch there. I'm not a big fisherman or, or hunter, but we'd look at the stuff and play with the shooting gallery. And I spent a little bit of money, and it was very crowded on the weekend. So the destination draws. The problem with that is on Tuesday, as, as someone who has a background in retail, you don't have the same customer base. There's no families out on Wednesday afternoon, you know, looking to, to sort of just browse and not buy. So you've got the positive that this huge store almost functions as a museum, but you also have the negative that a lot of the week, it's not that busy. So going forward, there's a pretty big opportunity, and it sort of ties into the Cabela's small format. You have all these malls around the country that have realized they can't just be stores. They have to have movie theaters and bowling alleys and restaurants and sort of other destination things to drive business because people aren't shopping in retail stores the way they used to. And a smaller format Cabela's, maybe with one attraction, builds into that really well. And you're going to see a lot of vacancies in malls. There's a lot of uh, Sears anchor stores and Kmart anchor stores that are going to come vacant. And the new Bass Pro Shop slash Cabela's is really going to get some rent deals to be able to expand if that's what they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, I love that idea actually, and you know they definitely have the attraction entertainment aspect down. Um, there's plenty of stories and you know testimonies you can hear from customers, especially in the more rural parts of the country where these stores uh, you know cater to the people who are into the fishing, the gaming, the camping, where they will drive hours to go to one of these stores because the selection and just things to do are are, are kind of limitless when you get to one of these bigger flagship locations. But yeah, and this is this is really just a smart mashup. You know, you simply didn't need two companies of similar size fighting with each other because you know as we talked about it we saw this happen in sporting goods you know sports authority went out and dicks has been thriving because of it because there's a certain amount of sporting goods and cabela's and bass pro shops are, are loosely in the sporting goods space that you want to touch you don't necessarily want to buy a fishing rod that you've never handled so a certain percentage of people might go into a bass pro shop handle the fishing rod and then go buy it online for cheaper 
but that person might at least buy something on the way out. Maybe they need some lures, maybe they maybe they want some fudge, it doesn't really matter. They're gonna spend money, and if they're, they don't have to advertise to get you to not drive down the road to Cabela's, that's an advantage. Yep, so diving into a, just a few of the details behind the deal, uh, Keep in mind, Bass Pro is privately held, whereas Cabela's is publicly traded. So the cash offer for Cabela's was sixty-five fifty per share. Uh, in total, it's about a four point five billion dollar deal. Um, and part of that deal also is Cabela's has its club store, uh, you know, co-branded credit card, and that was previously managed by an entity they created, World's Foremost Bank. And part of the negotiation process was finding some financial firm. Card processor to take over that part of the operations. Capital One will be taking over that. There will be no change for customers themselves who are part of the Cabela's Club, uh, uh, the Cabela's Club, and also the Bass Pro side. They have their uh, card and loyalty program. So all that will keep going in operation through as the companies come together. The combined entity will actually have a network of about 180 stores and 40,000 employees, and the new company will also remain private with the deal expected to close in the first half of 2017. So, Dan, how did you uh, have a chance to pull up any of the info on the buyout premium? Because I have to say, overall, Cabela's shareholders should generally be pretty happy based on the previous trajectory that their stock had seen in the past year or so. Yeah, it's a, it's about a 19% premium, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. over where the stock was trading when the deal was announced. And it's, it's one of those where you can't exactly say that's all it is, because the stock had moved at various points as this deal has been rumored, had been talked about. This is one of those cases where, you know, the, uh, the quarterback of the football team and the head cheerleader, everyone wants them to get together, so eventually <laughs> they're going to go to prom together, whether they like each other or not. <laughs> this... And what they're not talking about, because you know you don't want to scare people, is there's going to be some synergy from this. There's going to be some cost saving. You have, you know, they're going to keep both brands, and supposedly they're going to keep both headquarters. But the reality is, if you have a guy who's in charge of purchasing sleeping bags at Cabela's and a guy at Bass Pro Shops, there's no reason to have those separate people. So you're going to start to see some back office functionality. And yeah, maybe they'll have separate marketing teams, maybe they'll have separate brands. But purchasing and payroll and some of those things are going to come together, so it's going to get cheaper for these two brands to exist. Yeah, and also keep in mind that their uh, geographic footprints of their store fleets themselves are pretty complementary. So Bass Pro has the large majority of its stores in the eastern part of the United States, only about a dozen locations spread out between Colorado, California, Nevada, Arizona, and Washington. Uh, Cabela's adds about 30 to 40 more stores in those states in the western part of the country. So while there's quite a bit of overlap towards the west coast, again, um, you know, Cabela's gives Bass Pro that exposure uh, in the in in the more western bound states. And then going back to that premium too that you mentioned, the 19, percent you know, that's to the October second close right before the deal was announced, but. When the company, when Cabela's announced that they were pursuing strategic alternatives back in December 2015, you know, since that point, again, that's a 40% premium. That's 65.60 per share. And then, if you go back even further than that, which is part of the story with why this deal even came to be, is that uh, an activist hedge fund, Elliott Management, they took a 11% stake in the company in October, and immediately they stated their intention to push Cabela's towards finding, you know, a per, uh, finding an entity to buy it out. And so, since that point, so since about one year, 
you know, there's a 96% premium uh, since the Elliott management stake was disclosed. So again, uh, for stock that hasn't traded in the $65 range, frankly, since around early 2014, um, the shares peaked at about $71 during that period. This is a pretty nice uh, takeaway for shareholders that I think a lot of uh, a lot of people who came in maybe during, especially during that peak. Are happy to to recoup quite a bit of their investment. You have to be happy, but the reality is the reason the stock has sort of gone up even since this rumor has happened is there was only one logical buyer. A deal was going to happen. You know, it was it was simply the right thing to do because you know even just looking at going from 100 stores to 200, it's actually about 180. You improve your supply lines. You improve your warehouse. Even you know, as you look at your online ability to fulfill orders, you now have locations and warehouses, so you can leverage things like ordering online and picking up in stores. You know, it, this you know the stock basically doubled since this became a rumor because it just made so much sense. And now that it's happened, you know, th- there's there's every reason to believe it's the right move. Yep. And final takeaway: If you're a Cabela's investor, uh, as it stands right now, uh, the offer from Bass Pro values the company at about twenty-two point five. Times trailing 12-month earnings, so quite favorable based on Cabela's outlook. Because fr- frankly, you know the company um, was in a tougher spot before you know Elliott Management came along, started pushing the company. Dan, if you wanted to, yeah, and it, it had a rough quarter. I mean, you know, when, when you're looking at this this type of store, comparable sales is really the metric, and comparable store sales were down 1.3 percent in the most recent quarter. That's not a disaster. That's not Sports Authority numbers. But you look at all the sort of people creeping up on it. You've got a, a stronger Dick's. You've got Amazon. You've got you know various online retailers, REI, which is a much smaller format store that inches up on this. You know, so you could see sort of where the pressure was coming from, and getting bigger fast is a really good way to push back against that. Yep. You know, ultimately the company definitely had quite a few challenges to overcome if they wanted to work on their revenue, uh, their profitability, expanding their network of stores. And this is, you know, ultimately you mentioned some of those other names. Like this is a retail environment that it that does not take, uh, you know, hostages essentially. You know, they yeah. And, go and, ahead. and just sort of to wrap up, this is also a case where a healthy company was having very negative stock pressure because of sort of the short-term nature of many investors. Nobody was looking and saying, okay, down 1.3%, but Cabela's is well-positioned, it's in the right places, it has the type of store that's doing well, even in the internet economy. And by going private, the company can now say, okay, well, we're going to invest, we're going to do certain things, and we're not going to be tied to the quarterly reporting cycle. You know, for a retail store in a, in a quickly changing environment, that might mean shuttering a very big store or making a big change to a format or opening up, you know, 10 new mall stores. And that might not reflect well in the one, two, three quarter picture. But as a private company, you could sort of take the long view in a way that, frankly, retail companies can't when they're publicly traded. Yep. But one thing I will counter that with before we wrap up here on on this deal is that you know the company with uh, the bottom line net income fell 10% in 2014, another 6% in 2015. All this while revenue grew 11% over the same period. So definitely you know parts of their business that uh, they needed to work on, frankly. And um, overall, sporting in the outdoor and sporting goods industry with this tie up and the combined entity, there's still a ton of competition. Uh, you. 
keep in mind, you mentioned REI. There's also Dix. You also mentioned Gander Mountain, Big Five Academy, Sports, Models. So, and then not uh, that doesn't even include the e-commerce side of it. Besides an Amazon, a lot of the smaller players uh, that are just pure plays online. And so, Bass Pro with Cabela's larger entity, I think they have a pretty bright future. But for you know, ultimately on the investing side, Cabela shareholders. Um, you know, not that much to do at this point, but uh, you know, let the see the deal go through, which is, and again, it's expected to close in the first half of next year. So next up, we have our discussion of Costco. But before we dig into the company following its breakup with American Express, I wanted to thank Tommy John for supporting the show. Tommy John is revolutionizing men's underwear with a focus on fit, fabric, and function. Shirts that stay tucked, socks that stay up, and underwear that keeps everything in place, whichever way a man moves. It's funny that when I was still wearing a suit every day for work, I thought I, all guys just kind of suffered together, were willing to put up with socks that would bunch up around your shoes every hour, having to retuck your shirts all the time. But the fool might actually let me get away with a more casual dress around the office. But after having an opportunity to wear Tommy John gear, I have seen the light. So think of it like your mattress. You invest in that since you spend a third of your life sleeping. Well, you spend most of the remaining two-thirds in underwear most of the time. And Tommy John can make that two-thirds of your day so much more comfortable with its breathable, lightweight, non-pilling, and quick-drying fabrics. Tommy John offers a wide selection of styles, and the company provides a best pair guarantee. So if their underwear isn't the best you've ever worn, it's on Tommy John. And as a special offer to our listeners, get 20% off your first order by going to TommyJohn.com fool and using the promo code fool. Plus, you can get free shipping on any order over $50. That's TommyJohn.com fool with promo code fool. All right, Dan. So, Costco, this is right in your wheelhouse. I know you've been following this company for some time. Can you give us some background? Uh, I've mentioned Amex a few times. What exactly happened with this transition that they've made to Visa? Well, Costco switched from its long-term credit card provider, American Express, to Visa. And it was very much an abrupt transition, at least in the stores. There was messaging for almost a year to cardholders but basically, you went into Costco on June 20th or June 19th, and you could use your American Express. When you went in on June 20th, that card no longer worked. The company, the retailer, no longer even took American Express at all, and you had to use your new Visa card. So when that happened, the media exploded. Oh my God, people are going to leave Costco. They're never going to handle this. This is a disaster. Some of its rivals, uh, you know, BJ's and Sam's offered free entry to their stores for people holding the old card. It seemed like they'd made a mistake. And that was backed up a little bit by the fact that uh, Citigroup, which provides the cards, was overwhelmed with calls, about a million and a half uh, calls in the first few days. And it seemed like people were having big problems, it was causing checkout problems, and that this was going to create some real ill will. And the reality is that things smoothed out pretty quickly. Within a few days, the call volume was well down, and I've talked a lot with some of the Citigroup people about this. And once people sort of figured out the switch, they realized, okay, now I have a Costco Visa, not a Costco American Express, and the rewards are actually fairly a decent amount better, and an extra percent on gas, and and you know, sort of some tick ups across the board, and you know, this was played up as if it was going to be a huge drag on on earnings, and I think you have some of the numbers in front of you. It just wasn't. Yeah, you know, I think the company specifically mentioned in a one of its recent uh, reports. That you know the switch to Visa from Amex has saved the company enough money in fees uh, to offset some of the falling food prices that it's seen that have you know negatively impacted its business. Um, so okay, we see that the transition wasn't the end of the world, wasn't as um, 
you know, wasn't as big of a negative impact that I think a lot of people feared it would be. That was definitely a uh, a news you know cycle that that got a lot of headlines. But what about uh, longer term outlook for Costco? Because something that I know that they've challenged. Uh, They've had challenges with is with e-commerce, for example. That's been lagging. It seems like it's passing them by entirely. And uh, what do you think there? I don't want to say I expect the bottom to fall out of Costco because I think there's a a certain percentage of its users that sort of internet be damned. It's fun to go to Costco and sample things that like you wouldn't sample. Like somebody's cut up a Twizzler into little pieces and you're having a sample. You know what a Twizzler tastes like, but it's still fun to get one <laughs> for free as you walk around and look for bargains and hunt for things and you know come home with a pallet of meatballs even though you're a vegetarian. Like there, there's a a sort of thing about going to Costco that's always going to protect some of their business. But as you mentioned, they've done very little on the internet. You know, they send emails, they have some web specials, but for the most part, it's not a great shopping experience. It doesn't feel like going to Costco in any way with the bargain hunting. Um, you know, it's it's not what they built on. And I do expect that at some point people are going to realize that the cost saving aspect of Costco, you know, you pay your $55 membership so you can save money by buying whatever it is, your toothpaste, your breakfast cereal in bulk quantity and save money. The problem is, and I'm a Costco member and an Amazon Prime member, the problem is that many of the things I used to buy from Costco in inconvenient quantities can be purchased from Amazon in the amount I actually want them in. So instead of having to buy six deodorant sticks and have to remember where they are over the next you know, eight months or however long it takes to use them, I could just order the same thing from Amazon at roughly the same price. And Costco has not had major sales dips because of this. But at some point, you have to figure they're going to. Yep. I think it's kind of similar to the topic we were talking about previously in the sense that you know, maybe not uh, I guess as directly to an extent, uh, you know. Whereas Bass Pro, obviously, or Cabela's, they create these attractions. At the same time, I have been to Costco on Friday evening and seen whole families there, and it is like the Friday night entertainment. It's very uh, kind of amusing to see and powerful. I think as part of Costco's business model, where this warehouse model it just translates very well to that in-person shopping experience. Now, how do you take that appeal? And attractiveness of the warehouse bulk shopping experience and translate translate that into e-commerce, especially in a situation where arguably, you know, in most cases, those bulk orders and the savings that you get translate to more expensive logistics for the company to get that item to you or that order to you. Um, it's it's going to be difficult. Absolutely, and I'm guilty. You know, I've spent a Sunday afternoon entertaining my 12-year-old by promising him a dollar churro at Costco and then walking around it. <laughs> I mean, you can you can eat. I mean, I can't. I have a gluten allergy, but they have cheap pizza and hot dogs, and people will go and have lunch and then browse the store and come home and you know find a, a book on sale or something ridiculous they never planned for. I don't think you can replace that aspect. I think the problem is there are some interesting digital things you can do in bulk, and Amazon has actually beat them to the punch. Amazon owns a company called Woot.com, and I, I don't know if you've ever purchased from Woot, but what they do is a sale of the day. It's now morphed into more than that, but basically they take a few items that they purchased you know, in, on clearance likely from someone else or have in their own warehouses that wouldn't sell, and they'll put up, okay, today we've got this HP laptop and it's $249, 
and that's maybe half the regular price, and people go crazy and buy them. I know I buy a lot of T-shirts from them, and you know I've ordered things and just go, oh boy, it would be great to have a 12-pack of HDMI cables. And I think that's very much like the Costco experience. You go to their website or their app every day, and you don't know what's going to be there, and then you make a purchase that may not be the smartest purchase. And Costco could do that. They have a, a user base. They they could do it even on a broader level. They could put a car on sale. They could put you know, health insurance on sale or, or come into a store and get a, a hearing aid exam. There's a lot of ways Costco could leverage its physical stores, its ability to buy product. I mean, they're, they're, if you ever watch Shark Tank, whenever they talk about Costco, they're notorious in negotiating and getting the price down and getting things very cheap. So it's not crazy to think that Costco could say, okay, Christmas is in you know 10 weeks, whatever it is, uh, we're going to have a different toy every day on our deal site and sort of mimic that in-store experience. Yeah, uh, if they are able to successfully launch something like that, and I do know of Woot, but I did not know Amazon had taken it over, so that's news to me. But uh, ultimately, this is a company with $120 billion in trailing 12-month revenue, and in that time, you know, their net income margins usually around 2% or less. So profitability is really uh, thin. A lot of it, ha- you know, people talk about where the the business benefits from those membership fees. It's and roughly it's roughly 70%, 66 to 70% of profits depending on the quarter. So there you go. And so again, that would just be something the company has to manage and work around as they transition uh, to e-commerce cuz that is something that they will have to really uh, invest in and face off against, I think, and realize that it's like a do or die situation, I think, at some point and in the future. There are there are some trends. You know, so the Costco numbers overall are good. When you look at the, the same store sales and you subtract out the fact that gas prices are a drag because mm-hmm. gas prices have been lower, they've actually post some slight gains. It's basically flat when you when you factor gas in. So that's not bad. But when you look at the membership numbers, overall membership revenues are up because they've managed to transition some people into more expensive memberships, either business memberships, and in a couple of countries they've raised prices. But the overall renewal rates have ticked down a very slight amount, about a tenth of a percent when you look at the different markets. That is by no means a cause to panic, and it could absolutely be the small percentage of people that with the credit card just went, nah, I never really use this, I'm not going to take the new credit card. Uh, about 85% of the credit card portfolio moved over, which is pretty close to the active number of people on the old credit card. So that 15% that wasn't active, they some of them might have said, yeah, I'm not going to renew this, I'm just going to cut this card in half and you know not pay my membership fee this year. So these aren't you know, warning signs, they're almost like baby warning signs. You look at it and go, okay, if they start to lose a tenth of a percent here, a tenth of a percent there, at what point does it snowball and become, okay, renewal rates have gone from, you know, 89% to 83%, and then it becomes a real problem. Absolutely. Okay, so I take it, uh, you know, you're still relatively bullish then with Costco and, and think, you know, the prospects. I think, they'll be they, able have to... of, I think they have a lot of time. Yep. I, I think that there's an absolute flaw in their business that they, they they pretty openly said, we don't care that much about the internet. We'll get to it when we get to it. I'm really paraphrasing. Nobody said anything that brash. That's you know indirectly what they said. Mm-hmm. But I think because of the nature of their business and the fact that the mall as a destination has maybe faded, that Costco as a destination can buy them two or three years to sort of figure out an internet strategy or figure out more things like gas that you can't buy on the internet. Amazon is not an effective delivery method for a tank of gas. <laughs> so if Costco 
can bring me in for gas, an eye exam, a hearing aid exam, you know, maybe they'll add haircuts, maybe they'll expand their restaurant. It doesn't necessarily have to be directly competing with Amazon. It just has to be continuing to give people reasons to pay that $55 and occasionally visit the store. Yep. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today, but you can continue the conversation with us as always and the rest of the Industry Focus crew via Twitter at MF Industry Focus or send us any questions or comments via email to industryfocus at fool.com. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.